I just feel a, a very special, special burden, if you will, about the things that I'm going to say, and I, and I just ask that you really give your heartfelt attention to the whole, the whole sermon. Now, we've been in Titus this month, and so not all of you have got all of the messages from the book of Titus, but Titus is about family. It's about the nature of a church being family. And so Titus talks about the things that are essential when it comes to doctrine and things that are essential that comes to character. And the folks from uh, Titus uh, lived on the island of Crete. Uh, it was an island about 250 uh, say kilometers, about 400 kilometers uh, long and about 80 kilometers wide. And there were apparently about 100 towns or small cities in the Isle of Crete at the time that the Bible was written. So and most of these people came from non-Jewish backgrounds. Not everyone, but most of them. And so they didn't have the, the benefit of the Old Testament or all of the teaching that brought uh, about the coming of Christ and then the beginning of the Christian church that he started. Now, Paul, or as he t talks to Titus, he says, the things that are important is, first of all, that you talk to the old men and teach them how they should live and teach them how they should communicate to young men. Now, the old men were people much older than Titus. Titus was just a young pastor, and so that was a challenge. And then he talks about older women, and teaching them what is right and proper, and how they are to instruct younger women, and then how the older men are to instruct the younger men. Because character becomes everything, the message is the people. The people reflect Jesus. They reflect the values of the church. So if the the people are not living according to the principles of Christ, then it's like, well, we're no different than anybody else. It, we're not really able to change the world in which we live in. So that becomes very, very important. Now, I'm going to start this morning at the last of the book of Titus, the last few verses, because here you get this sense that it's not just about teaching and instructing and older men t talking to younger men and older women talking to younger women. It's all on the basis of a, a family-type relationship. And not just necessarily the kinds of families that we have in this world, because often there are breakdowns in family life, and family life can mean different things to different people. But this is a true family, a vibrant family of God in the earth. And here's what he says. This is, these are the last verses of Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. Okay. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychius to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. And see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. 
So in this text, he's talking about people that are important to him. Uh, Artemis and Tychius, they, they were very much in, involved in raising the offering uh, for the, uh, from the Corinthians for the church of Jerusalem when there was a famine. They were very much involved in, in collecting for the saints, as the, as the scripture says. They were uh, real companions of Paul. Uh, Zenos, the lawyer, was probably an expert in the Old Testament law, not necessarily civil law, but uh, spiritual law, the scriptures. And so he, it, he would have been an important teacher in instructing the people from Crete about the Old Testament that led to the coming of Christ. And so there were all of these people, and Apollos, another companion uh, of Paul. So these are people that were important to Paul, and so he said, I want them to be important to you. Make sure you help them and teach the people to devote themselves to doing what is good. Otherwise, we live unproductive lives. Now, in your bulletin, you'll notice that we have a, a, a missionary weekend planned for the um, middle of March, 13th, 14th, and 15th. And Tammy uh, Lamb and Martin Lamb are going to be here. And they're going to be doing a special youth service on Friday night. They're going to be doing a breakfast on Saturday morning for the adult church. And then on Sunday morning, they're going to be ministering to us. Now, the reason we're bringing them in here is for you to get to know them and to be able to experience firsthand some of the things that they are doing, some of the challenges that they face. Martin works for an organization called Ethnos, as you know, and it's to reach unreached people groups in the world. And the challenges he faces, because he doesn't get paid for what he does, and he doesn't even get paid, nobody pays for his flights, and he's going, he has flights overseas this year, and he's very involved in missions, aviation, and so he has tremendous financial challenges. And uh, we're going to receive an offering for him in the spirit of this text, in the spirit of, of making sure that we don't live lives that are unproductive, and that's in the context of not reaching out to bless those who we are associated with, we're connected with, and then that we can help. Uh, so... Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Notice that family atmosphere. Well, he, he's, Titus, make sure the church knows the needs. Make sure they're taught to give. Make sure they're taught to really reach out and not center their lives around themselves or their own church group, but to really connect with each other in the kingdom of God. Now, when it comes to uh, tithes and offerings, and uh, Farah just uh, mentioned, uh, how do you find Jesus in the Old Testament? Well, here's one way. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1 to 3. Um, um, I didn't know she was going to say that, but here's, here's an example. Um, this is, okay, it's the next slide, uh, uh, this Melchizedek, and this is an example of what it means to, to tithe and to give offerings. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. 
And he met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now first, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. So way back in the book of Genesis, Abraham is involved in a great battle. And he wins the battle. Just the Lord was with him supernaturally. And as he's coming with the spoils, all of the wealth that he had taken from the, the, it was the plunder of battle, he meets somebody, amazingly, who comes, appears to him, and he brings him bread and wine. And this someone was Melchizedek. And as we read from Hebrews here, he's actually an Old Testament uh, appearance of Jesus because he's a priest forever. Now he comes and he gives bread and wine, a symbol of the life of Christ, the symbol of what would come at one day when Jesus would come to this world and he would break bread with his disciples and drink wine and say, this is my body and this is my blood. And so here is a is an example way back in the Old Testament, a literal example of what Jesus would do. And it says that Abraham responded by giving tithes of everything that he, of the spoils. Now, um, here he is, king of righteousness, Melchizedek, king of Salem, uh, which means king of peace, without father, no genealogy, so he had no human background, without beginning of days or end of life. And resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. And what was the response? The tithe. Now, what is this priest doing today? He lives in heavenly session. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 7 that he is a king forever after the order of Melchizedek and he is a king who intercedes for his people. He's in heavenly session, constantly praying for us, constantly interceding. I, I just find that extremely amazing. Uh, we have prayer meetings here in the church, and we have people that we have people that um, uh, give um, their prayer requests. And actually, very interestingly. We've been talking with a person who is going to provide the chairs for us, for the church. It's a company out of um, Mississauga, Ontario. Before I say that, let me tell you this. The carpet is arriving tomorrow. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so it, it's here a lot sooner than we announced or what we thought it was going to be here. And by the way, it's coming here on a truck and it's a curbside delivery, so we need lots of help. And the, the best part of it all is I can't tell you what time they're arriving. They said that the truck driver will call me en route. So I'm going to need about 10 folks here. And then we have to take all of the carpet apart, and we have to spread it all over the church. And then we have to 
we have to mix it all up in case there's just a little bit different color lots and stuff. This is what they told us we should do. And then we have to put it all back again, and not in boxes, but we're not going to lay the carpet this week, but we're going to get finished getting ready for it. But if, is there anybody that could help me? Otherwise, I'm going to have a very sore back by the end of the day. And, and you can you can come on the kind of just the, uh, if I called you, or you can tell me now, and I'll call you. Wave your hand at me if anybody is like that. Okay, okay. All right. Good, good. I need to get your names. Would you give your names to Marlene at the end of the service and your phone number, and we'll, and we'll call you. And by the way, after church this morning, we need to get rid of all the chairs and all the tables, get them out of there, pile them. We have to clear off the platform and move everything off because the carpet is coming. Everybody, the carpet is coming. All right. <laughs> so where in the world was I? Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> chairs. So, so what is Jesus doing? This high priest. The Bible says he's building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So when he talks to Titus, the, the Holy Spirit is saying, Titus, teach the people to support the church. Teach the people to live profitable lives in the sense of giving to others in the church, to supporting the church, to support what Jesus is building. And the example that he gives in Hebrews is that we give tithes to Melchizedek. Just like Abraham, we give tithes to Jesus, who was Melchizedek, just as Abraham did to Melchizedek, to the appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. You can read the whole text in Hebrews chapter 7. And in that text, you'll see that here in this new covenant, we give tithes to Melchizedek, to Jesus. In the Old Testament, they gave tithes to the Old Testament priests. And if they did that then, how much more important is it to do it now? And so the challenge that I want to share with you this morning is when it comes to congregational church life, a church depends upon the tithes, the faithful giving of God's people. And we try to teach this with to the children. We try to teach it to the teens. One of the, one of the requirements we have for teen leaders, people who lead infusion, is that they be tithers. Because if you're a teen leader, and somebody says to you, do you tithe, one of the teens? And they, well, no, I don't. But isn't that what the t- church teaches? And so as soon as the teen leader says, no, I don't tithe, then it's like, well, then it doesn't matter. And once you start saying that or conveying that either directly or direct, indirectly, you're starting to break down the whole kind of order that God has set for his people. And so this is why we take key elements like this and we say they are critically important, not because we need money to pay the bills, although that certainly is important, but that's not the reason we give. We don't give to have money to pay the pastor or keep the lights on. Those are secondary reasons. The primary reason is because we're worshiping Jesus. And he's about the building of his church in the earth. Amen? Amen. 
These are not shouting sermons whenever you start talking about things like this. But really, they should be. They really should be. If, you, if you're going to live a profitable life, you won't live it and just give what you think you need to give or have to give, but you have a spirit of giving because that's the spirit of Jesus. When it comes to Marlene and I, uh, how do we give? How do we understand giving personally? Well, we give our tithes to the church. That's where we start. And actually, uh, when it comes to the amount of salary we receive, uh, we give more than double tithe to the church. But then we give more than that in missions. And so just a couple of weeks ago, we sent $800 to a missionary who's going to the Ukraine. And we're not, we didn't do that through the church. We just did that personally. And through this last year or so, I think we've, can safely say that out of our own pockets, we've given about $10,000 to people either in need in the church or missionaries. Why? I drive an 11-year-old car. Wouldn't it be better to take all that money and buy a new car? Well, if the old clerker will get me from here to there, uh, I don't need a new car. What's more important is helping people who need the gospel, who are desperate to hear the love of Jesus, the story of his grace and salvation. And I will live an unprofitable life if I lavish things on myself instead of operating in that spirit of giving. Now, I'm not trying to to say that to be boastful. I'm saying it to be an example. I'm saying it to, uh, to help to instruct the church. As Paul said, we must instruct Uh, to to Titus that you must instruct the church in Crete because these are essential to the things of the gospel. Now, I want to take you down to um, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 to 34. Because the church isn't all about money, as you know. Uh, Tithing is an act of worship. Tithing is an act of love. Tithing is so many different things. It's an act of helping uh, the body of Christ. Now we get into the situation where we have, in the kingdom of God, great victories. Powerful, powerful victories. We have people who do exploits for the kingdom of God. They are amazing. We have pastors and, and, and uh, ministers who have great ministries and churches that are flourishing and doing wonderful works. Um, on Friday, I spoke with Dan Hammer on the phone and Stephen List, and they are excited about our church. Now, Dan Hammer is leaving for the Philippines tomorrow morning, and uh, he's there. He goes every year. He takes a whole team from his church, and he ministers there and Stephen List is going to Florida for a, a pastor's convention, and these men are traveling all the time, and they're older than I am, uh, which makes me feel very young when I compare myself to them. <laughs> and boy, if I got half their energy when I'm their age, I, I don't know. Dan Hammer is 70, 79 years old, and they said, We love your church, and we'd love to come and spend a couple of days in the summer. Uh, they're planning to. S- to vacation on Prince Edward Island, and would they be able to come over and, and, and just, just have a, 
uh, Holy Ghost hoedown. They didn't say that, but that's what... And and I just thought, wow, isn't it great that the body of Christ is so connected and so powerful that men of great renown can come to a church of, of a much smaller, smaller church like ours and yet feel so connected. That's the spirit of what Paul was talking about with Titus. Does that make you happy? Yeah. And here's what... Here's what Paul said. What more can I say? Now, he is talking about the exploits of faith of men and women from down down through history. And he said, what more can I say? (laughs) He says, there's so much to look back to in the Old Testament of this person doing that and that person doing this and all by faith, all because they they were looking for a city that was much better than any place on earth, a city whose builder and maker was God. They lived in faith. They live profitable lives. And he says, what more can I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. And here's here's what he said. Who through faith conquered kingdoms. Wow. Conquered kingdoms. They administered justice and gained what was promised. Don't you think that's the way that being Christian should be? You gain everything that's promised. Well, the promises of God are yes and amen, the Bible says, to those who believe. And we say, okay, Lord, I need this, I need this, and I pray, and, and I don't get it right away, and so maybe there's something wrong with me. Or maybe maybe just God doesn't care about me anymore or, or, or whatever. And so we, we look at uh, scriptures like this, and we hear of great ministries like I've just described, and and, uh, and we say, oh, wow. It, it goes on. They gained what was promised, and they shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fury of the flames. Remember the three Hebrew children? They escaped the edge of the sword. I think of Dr. Emmanuel when I think of, when I think, uh, of that, how he escaped um, just being killed by a machete because he was preaching the gospel in the northern part of Nigeria, whose weakness turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed former, uh, uh, foreign armies. So this is, this is the kind of, of, of faith that we preach and we believe in and we say that we will pray for you and we will agree with you for God to do great things and we need to stand in faith like that because the Bible teaches it. We need to take the love that we have and the power and the anointing of the Spirit and spread it, share it with others. Now, I came across, you could set up that video if you would, uh, and I'm going to get to you to show it right now. This was supposed to have been last week's, uh, it, was, it was created to run last week on the Super Bowl ads. And they didn't let it run. They prohibited it. And so uh, would you get that, uh, do you have it there? Um, yeah. Farah, can you help him? Um, We've been talking about abortion in the church. 
and we have actually 30 copies of Unplanned. And if you haven't seen it, I really encourage you to see it. And what I want to do with those 30 copies, I want to make them available to those who would show them to others. You would, um, not just to take it so you have it for yourself, but you would take it as an outreach for your own home where you can bring people uh, together to, um, to show it. It's a powerful outreach tool that we just really want um, want you to have. Are we okay? All right. <laughs> Do we have it? In a moment. All right. So, um, everybody's tension. <laughs> what about the unborn? What about them? I'm going to read a scripture in a few minutes, a couple of scriptures, and I'm going to close with these couple of scriptures. This video is only two minutes long. But I, what about the unborn who are aborted? What, what do we really feel about that? It's a tragedy, yes. It's a matter of politics, yes. It's a matter of rights, the rights of a woman over her own body. But it's also rights that excludes the rights of an unborn child. And the only way you can say that, that it's okay is to say that the unborn child isn't actually human yet, isn't actually a child. And so it's justified on the basis of that. And yet there's all kinds of reasons why we know that that's not the case. And we've done teaching on that here in the past. Now, do we have it? He looked me in the eye. Can you look me in the eye and tell me that I shouldn't exist? That I should be dead? That I deserve to die that day. Can you look me in the eye and tell me that my very survival was a mistake? A terrible toll on society? Can you look me in the eye and tell me that in my most vulnerable state, I was nothing more than a parasite? A collection of body parts. Subhuman? Worthless. In 1952, I survived multiple abortion attempts. DNC abortion. An instrument abortion. DNC abortion. Heritage abortion. A vacuum aspiration abortion. An induced abortion. A saline infusion abortion that was meant to poison and scald me to death. I am the face of choice. I am that choice. These are actual human beings who survived abortion procedures when they were still in their mother's wombs. These are the eyes, voices, and faces of choice. Choice is not merely a word. Choice is a person. Learn their stories.
going to uh, turn you to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 35 to 39. And uh, I'm just going to have three scriptures, actually, uh, that I close with. Um, So, after saying all of these people, they subdued kingdoms, they quenched the fury of flames, they escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. And we celebrate that. We want to go to revival meetings where the great power of God is being displayed. But what about the unborn child who never had the chance to do that because they were aborted? What about our feelings about that? And not only our feelings, our commitment. What, what about what we do as a church when it comes to standing for righteousness because Jesus is the king of righteousness and because Jesus is the king of peace in a world that is so full of everything that's opposite to that. And so after saying that they, they routed former armies and they did all of these amazing things, he says this, there were others who were tortured. Can you go to the next slide? Oh, you're having issues. Okay. <laughs> All right. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Release from what? Release from death. There were others who were tortured, but they refused to be released. They never would renounce Jesus because by dying for their faith, they would gain a better resurrection. Well, what does that mean? Is there a, a degrees of resurrection? Well, it's what they understood to be true. They wanted to stand before God with a clear conscience saying, we never compromised. We never, never compromised. We remain true to you. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destituted, persecuted, and mistreated. And listen to what it says. Do we have it up there yet? Uh, Yeah. The world was not worthy of them. Whenever you see the person who is living in another country and they are persecuted for their faith, whenever you see somebody who has rather than make a compromise when it comes to their job. Even if it means a promotion, but there's some dishonesty with that. Rather than accept the compromise, they would not take the job. The world was not worthy of them. Now, this is a reality that existed at the time when Paul Paul wrote this to Titus, or or, or the the writer to Hebrews, rather, wrote this. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. Now, that was the reality of many, many people then. And because we live in such a wonderful country where we have religious freedom, we don't realize that those same dynamics are true now today in other parts of the world. And what is our response How do we respond? How can we not be givers? How can we not, whenever we hear of a a man like Martin Lamb coming, start not to start to prepare ourselves now, God, what can I give? 
How can we not look at the brothers and sisters among us who may need help financially or help in some other way and not reach out and give? The person that we're buying the chairs from or who's in charge of the per- of sales texted us yesterday. And she said, this is nothing about business. But she said, would you pray for a friend? So here's this person in Toronto that's connected with us because we've been talking to her about buying chairs. And she emails us and said, will you pray? Because I believe in prayer. And she said, would you ask your congregation to pray for my friend? Her name is Sarah. Let's do that right now. Lord, we pray for Sarah. We don't know who this person is. But we know the power of prayer. We know the power of fellowship and love and grace. The power of the Spirit is not restricted to a geographic location. But our prayers reach around the world. And we pray for Dan Hammer going to the Philippines tomorrow. We pray, oh God, for revival. We pray for brothers and sisters in the persecuted church people who are going through the very thing we've just read. We pray, oh God, for many mothers today who are making decisions about whether or not they will have an abortion. And we pray, oh God, that their child will be protected, their unborn child will be protected because there's an intervention, some kind of a word that reaches them. Oh God, we pray this in Jesus' name. And the next slide says, they were all commended for their faith. Now listen to this. Because this is where I think people struggle. We read all the scriptures about they subdued kingdoms. They stopped the mouths of lions. They they did all these amazing exploits. And that's what I want to be. And if it doesn't happen just when and where and how I think it should, then it must be that God doesn't care or God has lost interest or whatever. Pay attention to this. None of them received what had been promised. Well, doesn't that edify your faith? Why pray? None of them feel have received what they promised. Is there anybody here that has been holding on to a promise, but it hasn't come to pass yet? Anyone? <laughs> come on. <laughs> I would think most of us. But here's what it says. Since God had planned something better for us, that so that not only together with us would uh, plan something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Huh, what does that mean? <laughs> well, when my prayer isn't answered, that doesn't mean I shouldn't pray or pray in faith. But if my prayer isn't answered right now, when I want it to be answered, It means that God has something better for us. And the way that this is described in Hebrews is that it's a better resurrection. That means to stand before God saying we did not live unprofitable lives, but we gave ourselves for the same purpose, Jesus, that you came to this world. 
We honored you, O King of righteousness, O King of peace, and we sacrificed, we gave all we could. Our lives, our time, our finances, everything we are. Uh, I don't have my Bible. Where did it go to? Did I leave it on the desk there? Uh, there was one scripture I wanted to add, and I, it's not here. My Bible there? There it is. Would you open it up to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, and would you read it for us? Um, Mr. A.J., you probably can quote it. You don't need to look it up. Oh, okay, come on up here. I want you to really listen to this verse. I, I meant to put it up on this slide, and I, and I didn't. Come on up here. Can we have this mic, uh, Jonathan? Yep. Really, really listen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Okay. So, if you're going to follow Jesus, Paul was, or the writer of Hebrews uh, wrote this, probably it was Paul, and he said, you folks have given up everything to be a, a follower of Christ, even to have your possessions plundered, taken from you. Read it again and listen to the adverb that is associated with that. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So, AJ, so you accepted, okay, I guess if I'm going to follow Jesus, i got to give up this and i got to give up that. And Oh, dear. Um, but is that what is, is that the adverb? Uh, Grudgingly nope. accepted? It says joyfully accepted. Joyfully accepted. Thank you. Well, that really is amazing. Somebody came to you and said, for the sake of the kingdom of God, would you give up everything? And you say, yes, you can have it all. But but not 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 my house. I mean, not my car. Not my not this. Not that. Not the other thing. Wait a minute. Everything. <laughs> Would you joyfully give it up? And yet, you know what? That's exactly what Jesus asks us to do. Not that He plunders it from us, and there's no marauding armies to do that. Not at least right now in Canada where we live. But will you lay down your life for Christ? Will you say, not my will, but yours, Lord, be done? When it comes to my possessions, when it comes to my income, I will faithfully tithe. I will faithfully give offerings. I will faithfully do the things that God asks me to do. I will faithfully love and care for others in the body of Christ and beyond.